This is Mike Elgin Radio for Monday, December 9th, 2019. So, Dinesh thinks this is you? Correct. He's been messaging with it all day and he has no idea. It's an AI. Well, we fold a human. I guess we just passed the Turing test. Almost a human. The HBO series Silicon Valley ended Sunday, sadly. I'm a huge fan. I think it's absolutely hilarious. And uh, in a recent episode, um, Bertram Guilfoyle, the Pied Piper network engineer, uh, creates a chatbot he calls Son of Anton, or which he says is trained by Son of Anton, uh, which uh, basically interacts as Guilfoyle on the company chat network. Um, Another character uh, named Dinesh is chatting with the bot and doesn't realize that he's not chatting with Guilfoyle. And then when he finds out that it's an AI, he gets mad and then he realizes, wait a minute, I'd like to use this to interact with this annoying employee that, uh, that I have. And what's interesting about this, this idea that we could have an AI chatbot that mimics us and impersonates us and interacts with other people as us. This is coming. This, this is uh, absolutely coming to uh, all of us. Uh, the most explicit uh, claim that uh, this sort of thing is going to happen comes from Andy Rubin. Now, Andy Rubin is probably most famous for uh, founding and creating Android. Uh, he, he and it was acquired by Google, uh, became under Google the, the world's largest operating system. And, um, and Andy Rubin left the company uh, some time ago and founded uh, a company called Essential Products, which is a consumer electronics and a smartphone company. Uh, their first round of phones were kind of flopped. But he's working on another one that's codenamed Gem. It's been panned because it's tall and skinny. The, the, the screen form factor is very unusual, and people are saying, you know, why, why do that? You know, that's just a, a big pain in the neck for developers, etc. But the most interesting thing about it is that it's designed for you to use the phone less. And when you do interact with the phone, you're supposed to do it mainly through voice interaction. The most killer feature is that it will contain AI on the phone that will be, as Ruben says, a virtual version of you. So this AI will reply to your emails as you. It'll reply to your text messages as you. And then essentially give you a report about what you said to whom um, and, uh, and so on. And this is a kind of an interesting idea. I mean, we are already getting so used to uh, AI that interacts uh, like a human being. One example is uh, when Google rolled out Duplex. Uh, Duplex is an AI that's just supernatural language. It's uh, something that goes uh and ah and makes like weird noises like uh, people do uh, when it's talking. And when Google demonstrated it at Google I.O., they actually called a restaurant or they played a recording of, a, of, of Duplex calling a restaurant, chit-chatting with the person who answered the phone, making a reservation, and all the while the person who answered the phone didn't know it wasn't a human. Since then, after some pushback, they have begun to uh, identify itself uh, when you use uh, duplex to make a restaurant reservation. You can do this 
through Google Assistant, say make a restaurant reservation, it'll guide you through and eventually Duplex will make the call. Duplex is also the technology behind the Pixel Phone's call screen feature, which by the way, just got an update. It, will, it can now screen calls automatically. And if Google determines that the caller is a robocaller, it won't even ring the phone. If it determines that it's probably not a robocaller, it'll ring the phone and say, hey, here's what's going on. I, here's who's calling and what they want and so on. And you have the chance to pick up the phone or, or whatever. Anyway, this version of Google, uh, Duplex also identifies itself as AI. And so what we basically have is we have uh, three categories of human-like AI that could be either spoken speech or a chatbot like you know text. Um, the first is one that interacts like a human being but it identifies itself as AI. That's the most common kind. Like Duplex does that. Uh, customer service call center type things tend to do that. The second version is one that poses a human but not a specific person. So for example, some call centers you call and for example, there's, you know, even an old fashioned uh, IVR system, interactive voice response system, you call the bank and it's like, oh, you know, press one if you want to do X, Y, Z. This is, you know, this is rudimentary technology, but it doesn't say, hey, I'm an AI, I'm not a person. It's like, you're, you're supposed to assume that. It impersonates a, a person in the way that it speaks, but it's not Bob Jones. It's not a specific person. It's just, you know, an artificial person. And then the third kind is one that impersonates a specific person. This is already becoming a problem in phishing attacks where uh, you have um, deep fake audio making calls and impersonating you know, the CEO of the company to get sensitive information from an employee of that company. Uh, that's, that's a nefarious use of that. But we're facing the, the possibility where this is essentially AI that impersonates you as a service, like with the gem phone, like with Andy Rubin's gem phone. So we're, we're going to be presented with the opportunity to have AI that interacts as us. And it really, people don't like the idea uh, of that. Um, but I, th I think people will actually come to accept it. I mean, just like in, uh, just like Dinesh in Silicon Valley, who hated it when he felt like it, it tricked him he loved it when he thought, well, he could use it. So I think that's essentially accurate about the public's response to this stuff. They'll hate it when they find out they've been tricked, interacting with someone that they thought was a person, it turns out that it wasn't. But they'll love it when it's a feature that they can use to screen emails and texts and interact uh, on their behalf. And already, I think it's such a fine line, really. I mean, right now we have uh, various features in Gmail where when we're reading an email somebody sent us, we can choose from among a few replies and just click on one and off goes the reply. Well, we didn't craft that language. Uh, Google did. We are selecting it, but still, the person on the other end thinks you typed, you know, thought of that reply and typed it and sent it when in fact you just said, well, that looks good, and then you clicked on a button. Um, Autocomplete. Uh, and, and, and various Google versions of that, which have recently been rolled out uh, from Gmail to Google Docs, where, um, you know, Google calls it Smart Compose, where basically you start to type a sentence and Google's like, well, here's the rest of the sentence. You know, it's like three quarters of the sentence 
has been written by AI. And you're like, yeah, that's fine. And then you, when you send that in a communication, in a presentation, in a, in, a, in a document that you are supposed to have written, or in an email, people think, oh, they, you know, this is what they said. But actually, it's what AI said, for the most part. So it's, it's kind of a slippery slope. It's a fine line, I think, between what we're already doing and accepting and enjoying the convenience of and this Andy Rubin vision of a chatbot that's a virtual version of you. It's a moral, or I guess not moral, but ethical conundrum that we'll all have to face. And uh, I, think, I think that uh, when we do end up facing it, I think there'll be an initial moral panic. I think that you know, already Google, uh, I'm sorry, already California, uh, and probably soon, if not already, the European Union uh, has passed laws that require AI to identify itself as such. Um, but companies, like in the case of the California law, it's only companies that are required to do that. Individuals are not required to do that. So if you did have a gem phone from Andy Rubin and you did have the feature as he described it, you would not be required by current California law to have that AI disclose itself as AI. Anyway, it's coming. Uh, I don't know if it's going to come from Andy Rubin or somebody else, but this technology is uh, on its way, and we're going to have to decide whether or not we like this technology. And I think ultimately, five years from now, ten years from now, the general version of the you know the the general opinion of the public will be, well, I like using it because it cuts down on my workload, and when I interact with uh, somebody, I don't really care if it's an AI or not. I mean, as long as it's not a friend. If I, if I call customer service and the entire time interacting with AI that functions exactly like human, I don't care. Just solve my problem and it'll be fine. So, son of Anton, uh, like technology is coming as, as usual. Uh, Silicon Valley nails it. And, uh, you know, it's something that we're going to have to think about and deal with. There's a great mystery that I and other bloggers have to deal with. Uh, and it's just a weird thing in technology that makes no sense at all. And here's what it is. So Google is the arbiter of how any website ranks in search, obviously. And they probably correctly and wisely have decided to favor websites that are mobile friendly. And one of the many ways in which a site can be mobile friendly is that it doesn't have gigantic photos. So if you have, you know, you have a poor connection on your phone and you want to look at a website and the photos are 25 megabytes each, this is a terrible experience. And so Google wants to punish the websites that have big photos. Great. Uh, the conventional wisdom, as I understand it, for SEO on to be mobile friendly, is a, is to have photos that are generally under 500k. Fantastic. So Google is the company that uh, determined this and is enforcing this, and Google is also the number one photo site, right? Google Photos is the number one site in the world for people to not only to store their photos, but also to edit them. So their editing tools inside Google Photos is something everybody uses. But Google Photos doesn't compress photos. It won't, you, there's no way to use Google Photos 
to reliably make a, f- a, a picture under 500K. You're on your own. Google requires you to do that, but they don't give you the tools to do that. You can use Snapseed, which is a, a photo editing tool that's better than the ones in Google Photos. That doesn't let you shrink photos either. Google does have a site called Squoosh, which is a website where you can upload photos and then use a bunch of like really detailed tools. You can select any kind of format. It's really fine-grained uh, control over file compression. You can shrink the photo to exactly the size you want and then download it, and you've got the right size photo. But this is really dumb because you know they're trying to be mobile-friendly, and what they're doing is they're requiring me to upload a giant photo over my mobile connection if I want to blog from my phone or, or a tablet to Squoosh and then download it and then upload it again to the blogging software. It's like a fax, right? You're uploading, downloading, uploading, downloading. It's ridiculous. And then, you know, I, <clears throat> I got a lot of good advice about um, optimizing photos for... Uh, mobile from Squarespace, which is the website that I blog with. And Squarespace doesn't do it either. Squarespace ought to let you go into the settings and say, okay, every time I upload a photo, I don't care what it is, I want you to shrink it to below 500K automatically. And then it would enable me to just upload photos of any size like I can on social. I mean, this is one of the reasons why people, I think, uh, blog less and do social more because you could upload a photo of any size to Facebook or Twitter or any of the social networks and they'll just deal with the, the size. You're not dinged in any way with giant photos. And so um, anyway, this is really vexing. And so I went uh, you know, in, on a hunt for an app that, where I could shrink photos locally. And there are lots and lots of apps that shrink photos, but they don't do it in a way that's useful. So most of the apps, almost all of them, on both iOS and Android, they let you shrink the photos in terms of the aspect ratio. So you can do a 1026 by 76. You can say, you know, shrink shrink the actual pixels to uh, 1024 by 768 or whatever it is. And what am I supposed to do with that? Like, I don't care what the aspect ratio is. That's the part that the blogging software sizes automatically. I want to know the file size and you can't control it. The other control is, oh, you can, you can shrink the photo to 30% or 20% or 22%. It's like, how does that help me? Is that more or less than Google's maximum for, I, I have no idea. Some, you know, it depends on the original photo. And sometimes you, you shrink it to 30% and you're over, you know, it's too big still. Or sometimes you shrink it to 30% and it's way under, which means that the photo isn't as high quality as it could be. That's why I'm super happy to have discovered on Android uh, an app called Pick Tools, P-I-C-T-O-O-L-S, uh, by Naka Kathora. Uh, Amravati, I guess is his last name. Um, and uh, this, is a great, this is a great app. Basically, you open it and it will give you um, all kinds of options for shrinking photos. I think you can do up to 25 at a time. One of which is that you can just set the file size. It's like, I want a 400K photo. You select the photo, you click a button, and it shrinks the photo. And then you can even um, 
click on the share button and open directly into Snapseed and edit it before uploading it. This is great. So what this means is that now, thanks to this tool, I can be on my phone, I can be with a slow connection somewhere, I can take a photo, I can shrink it locally, and then edit it on the phone, and then I can upload it to my Squarespace blog. And the, the only thing that's being transmitted is the shrunk file. So I'm, only, so I'm not moving around the original uh, 10 megabyte file or whatever it is. And so this is fantastic. And I, I'm really confused about a bunch of things. Like, why doesn't Google give you tools from Google Photos to shrink the photos to meet their own specifications for uh, mobile friendliness? Why doesn't Squarespace automatically do that? And why don't all the, fo fo the photo shrinking apps give you the option to determine the file size? Doesn't everybody have this problem? Doesn't every blogger confront this problem? Am I the only one who, who, who needs photos that are mobile friendly? I mean, I don't think so. Uh, am I the only one who blogs from a mobile device? I don't think so. So this is just a weird mystery. Uh, but uh, never fear, pick tools will save you from this, uh, this weird uh, lapse in the, in the uh, decision-making process of just about everybody involved in, in photos and blogging. The best feature of Google's Pixel phone is in the camera app. It's called Photo Booth. And what's great about it is that you can uh, select this option and just prop the camera up or put it on a tripod and, or hold it, and it will take pictures whenever people smile. This is a great alternative to using the timer uh, if you have a group shot and you're going to be in the group shot. So, you know, typical group shot scenario is you prop up the camera, you set it on 10 seconds, then you hit the shutter, and then you go running to the group, and you all smile, and then you kind of guess when the, uh, when the picture has been taken. Uh, it works fine. Um, I use it occasionally and have been using features like that in smartphones for, you know, years. But Google had a better alternative, which is a photo booth, where it would wait until either the single person in the photo smiled or when a few people, you know, if you have 10 people and three of them smile, it'll take the photo. And this is great for group shots because it's a lot quicker and it's a lot more certain. You basically just set up photo booth and then you go and you run with the group and you all smile and then you, you're done. It's like instantaneous. It'll also take photos if you do a duck face or wink or, you know, use a, a peace sign or any, you know, there's a bunch of things that trigger the photo, but really it's the, it's the smile feature. And I, I often set this up when, uh, during gastronomic experiences, we have a bunch of people who are doing fun stuff. We're making cooking class or we're making cheese or we're doing something like that. I just, you know, I have two cameras. I have my, my DSLR and, and I have my smartphone. I set up the smartphone to just be in photo booth mo mode and I go around and forget about that phone, right, that camera, and I go around with the DSLR and take, you know, photos as I normally would, but then later when I check the phone, I got all these great shots of everybody smiling, and so it's a really, really great feature, and in October, uh, Google uh, was in the news for killing a camera called the Clips camera, which used the same feature. It was a little standalone camera that you'd prop up and when your kids are playing or whatever, and it would take pictures when people smiled or whatever. And they killed that. At the same time they killed it, roughly, they came out with a new version of Android that did not have the photo booth feature. 
everybody just figured, well, that's Google killing another great thing. But in fact, they didn't kill it, they moved it. And so what they did was they put it in the selfie camera um, interface. So if you put on the selfie camera and then you use the drop down menu at the top, you get a bunch of options, including the timer. And now next to the timer, you have a little round button that says the letter A, A for auto. Just select A for auto and it works exactly like photo booth. Uh, but again, this is a, such a Google move to take the most popular, the most awesome, the most unique, the most special feature of their one of their products and hiding it and not telling anyone. They're always snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, or rather defeat from the jaws of victory. And I don't understand why they do this kind of thing. I mean, it's, um, you know, there are lots and lots of people out there who think that the feature is gone and they just kind of just don't use it anymore and think that the Google camera is less special now. So anyway, so uh, look for the A in auto under the timer mode of the selfie camera in Google Pixel phone if you're using that. If you love the Mike Elgin Radio Podcast, please give it a glowing review and a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. You can find all my columns, blog posts, newsletters, and more at elgin.com. Thanks for listening.